Hi, everybody. This is Dustin Sells from the Good Trash Honor Cast. I just want to let you guys know that we can also be found at sadmenforlonelywomen.com. We are in partnership with those guys, and you can find all your humor needs there. Thanks for listening. Get to the RV. everybody and welcome again to the Good Trash Genrecast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we discuss films you'll never discuss in a film studies course and we apply film studies analysis anyway. This week's film is Beyond the Black Rainbow, how Dorothy overcame a fit of terrible depression and was able to move into a sunshiny, more happy part of her life thanks to Prozac. This week's show brought to you by Prozac. Prozac, for when you feel bad, you'll feel better. Thank you very much for all, <laughs> <laughs> all of that. We need to um, move on and identify the disembodied voices speaking to your brain directly through your audio MP3 playing device. Uh, to my left, ma'am, if you would. My name is Alexander Bohannon, and... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Nailed it. Crushed <laughs> it. Crush. Very well done. Thank you, Alex. Across the table, if you would, sir. Hello, everyone. My name is Caleb Masters, and uh, hello again, good trash. I went to another world, a place others cannot see. Thank you very, very much for that, Mr. Caleb Masters. Uh, to my right, sir, if you would. I am Arthur Gordon, and by the end of the show, I'll look like the offspring of Voldemort and a Promethean engineer. (laughs) Excellent, excellent. My name is Dustin Sells, and through my method of benign pharmacology, you can find your one true self. (laughs) And I'm so glad to help provide you with that all in our analysis of Beyond the Black Rainbow. That's right, dear listener. It's analysis, not review. That means there will be spoilerific spoiler ridges. Not that there's really a plot to spoil anyway, but uh, we'll (laughs) We'll be uh, talking about that throughout the course 
synopsis of the film, but to warn you and give a buffer of the spoilerage, what's going to happen is there's going to be a short synopsis from the voice of the cinema, and then we're going to have a quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. After that, we're going to get down to business and do analysis, and from that point forward, dear listener, there will be spoilers. So you have now been warned. So, with no further ado, Mr. Arthur Gordon, voice of the cinema, if you would, sir. Despite being under heavy sedation, a young woman tries to make her way out of the Arborea Institute, a secluded, quasi-futuristic commune. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Quasi-futuristic, yet is set in the past. 1983? Six. Correct. Three. It's definitely 1983. It's, oh, okay. it's, it's 1983 because it happens the year before 1984. So, okay, there you go, dear listener. Now you know the synopsis of basically what's happening in the film. Let's give our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. I'm going to go counterclockwise around the table. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you say? Man, I don't know. I've been giving Dustin a lot of crap about this. But I'm the jury is really just still out with me on what I like about this movie. It does a lot of things really well. It does. There are some beautiful moments. The 1966 flashback. It's probably one of my favorite things about this movie. Uh, it's just so... I don't even know how to describe it. It's just... It is. Um, and so part of me really wants to like it. But part of me thinks it's just a very confused movie and it doesn't know exactly what it's wanting to accomplish completely. And so that kind of hurts. Uh, however, I will give it a, a bump because unlike something like Shane Crew's Upstream Color, which feels like pretension for pretension's sake, this felt more like a work of passion or uh, a work of art that was actually had some emotional investment into it, not just this kind of pretentious showing off that Caruth uh, does with upstream color, I think. And so I, I honestly don't know which way I'm swinging uh, with this movie, but I, I don't know. It's, it's a thing. It is, it is that it is. That pretty much sums up the movie, that ending quote. It's a fair point. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon, Mr. Caleb Masters. What say you? Well, the movie is definitely an interesting homage to, you know, the 1980s kind of paranoia. Not necessarily filmmaking, but the paranoia that was prevalent in the, the years of Reagan and then in the 80s. Uh, I, I thought there was a lot of ideas extrapolated from that era that they implemented in the movie was interesting. Uh, the experimentation with colors, filters, set design, and the synth music was probably one of the most visceral film-going experiences I've had in a long, long time. We just don't get this type of thing in the theaters much anymore. Uh, and on that note, I think the movie uh, uh, succeeds with flying colors. The thing is, I, 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 don't, I find that while the attention to the details is impressive, I found the movie leaned a little bit too much on, a, on, a, on a, like the psychedelic symbolism to articulate its key plot points, and it, and it feels incredibly muddled. In- incredibly muddled. And, and to Arthur's point... It feels like it's got passion, but it's almost, in my mind, it's like a misfire. It's like the difference between homaging something and pastiche filmmaking. And I felt like the movie was extremely pastiche. You know, it was like, oh, you're, you're taking those things from these other movies that worked really great without really understanding what made the things great in the first place, and you're putting it in your movie. And there was a lot of times where it's like, oh, look at the symbolism. It's saying something smart, but not necessarily in a pretentious way. I really felt like the, the filmmaker had a, had a passion and drive and love for the story he was telling, I just don't think it was articulated very well. So, to sum it up, I think it's an, an, an interesting amalgamation of lots of differing, uh, lots of interesting ideas, and they're trying desperately to have something to say. But ultimately, I think the film the film would have been better served as a half an hour episode of the Twilight Zone than a full length feature. I think just going back uh, to what Kayla's kind of hitting at, and what I mentioned with the confusion, I feel like had this movie just went full balls to the wall avant garde like Upstream Color, 
it would have probably breached that greatness that I think it was trying to hit. But I think it's hitting the surface because I feel like there are just a lot of moments in there where they didn't really know what was going to happen next. And so there's just these lulls uh, before we get to the next moment of psychedelic, trippy, trippy, avant-garde, artistic flourish. And when those flourishes happen, it's brilliant. I, I mean, it really is. And I don't want you to think I hate this movie, but I, I just I feel like it's not at a certain level. Yeah, it, it, I don't hate the movie either. I just think it's a really admirable misfire. Uh, not to say it's all bad, because there are things about it that are absolutely brilliant. I, I think I really think there are things about this that are brilliant. And I, I don't think it's necessarily unwatchable, but I think it really misses the mark. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Caleb and Arthur. Let's hear some correct reviews. Miss um, Alexandra Bohannon. Shots fired. Let's <laughs> <laughs> say you. Um, I see, and this is very interesting because I look on this movie much more favorably, but I do agree with them on some points about, you know, how it's kind of going to correlate more with pastiche filmmaking and how, um, you know, the psychedelic bits are really, really strong and this, how this should have maybe gone more full avant-garde because I do find it was such a strange moment in the film not to be super spoilery or anything that you can spoil this movie. I don't know. Um, whenever we are going, um, we transition from her leaving and then it turning into almost a pure horror movie like that where it's like psycho killer, you know, like thing and that, that I don't know if that really worked for me. Cause that, that just kind of like, what is this? Like, this is not the movie I was watching like even 10 minutes ago. So, I mean, I do understand, like, those. there are some substantial misfires, but I think this movie does way more right than than that kind of stuff. I think that's the most substantial one, but I think everything else, like, the whole rest of the movie, I just couldn't look away. Like, I, I was enthralled. I was engrossed. I was, I was there, and it was a trip and an experience. It was more of an experience than, than really a film, and maybe that's kind of the purpose of avant-garde as, as not a, you know, prophet or a son of an avant-garde filmmaker you know like that's that's kind of i'd be interested to know you know what what you think of as you know someone who studies this a lot better well and as i am the picker of the film i wouldn't quite classify this as an avant-garde film it definitely does uh, some avant-garde stylistics and uh that is part of why i like it so much and uh, I think to your point about pastiche, uh, the the inspiration for the filmmaker, whose name I will not attempt to utter on this show, cosmetology, right? Um, I, I think cosmopolis, cosmetopatopatopatopatopolis, cosmopolis, yes, something like comatose. I know his dad directed the brilliant Tombstone, and which is a film that I like very much. I'm pretty sure he was comatose while making the movie, though. Oh, that hurts. Uh, well, maybe but he, he is on record saying that his inspiration for the film was uh, he was a young child in the 80s and was uh, a frequenter of the local video store. And this is back when there were video stores, kids. And uh, you would peruse the aisles and look at the cover art and decide what films you wanted to see. And as a young boy, he often found himself in the horror section. But uh, as a good parent, um, Papa um, Papatopoulos would say, um, that he could not rent said films because he was too young. And so he would see this amazing, uh, again, back when we had good cover art for um, VHS tapes or DVDs or posters or anything, back when art used to be good for those things. And frankly, we've seen a dearth of that lately, and that's a whole other side 
rant from me. Um, he sort of imagined what those films might be like, what they might be about. And so the film is, in a sense, a, a realization of those sort of disjointed images that one experiences when you look and say, I don't know what's going on here, but I feel these senses of peril. I feel these senses of color and of light. I feel these senses of, again, tone. And, and this film does strike more of an attempt towards tone than it does towards narrative. And uh, that can be a weakness, that can be a strength, depending on the film. For my money, I'd say it's a strength in this particular film. I do love, and I must speak to Barry's, um, the actor who plays Barry Nile, his performance, the sort of face twitches and just sort of the um, disdain and hatred that is bubbling under the surface of his face is, is absolutely clearly that's what's going on, but it still remains subtle enough that you go, this guy could function in, a, in some sort of you know scientific institute and get away with that sort of um, just seething hate of bubbling under the surface. And that performance is absolutely stellar. Um, and I, there's nothing bad I can say about that. Yeah, well, you can't uh, mention Barry's performance without mentioning Elena's performance because she, you guys realize she has one line in that entire movie and she doesn't even say it out loud. It's like telepathically communicated to Barry. And yet she gives this this full body performance that just cannot be paralleled. Like you are just, are you're with her and you are experiencing what she is experiencing through just her shifts in body language and like how she carries herself. And I think her performance was also just really a high point in this film for me. So for my money, the performances are great. I think the art direction is brilliant. The use of light and color, the synth score is fantastic. And as Alex said, it is an experience uh, to watch the film. Uh, it is, I mean, I guess if you want to give a fault, it is, it is slowly paced, which is not all bad. But that sort of glacial pacing can be difficult for many viewers, and I get that. But for my money, I dig it a lot, and I like it a lot. You mentioned the pace, and it, it feels slow, but at the same time, it seems to move fast. And I don't know what that is. But yeah, I, I was watching it. I it felt forever, but I checked the time, and it it's still much time had elapsed. Yeah, yeah. It's a weird, a weird juxtaposition of of things happening. Well, I think about Giles Loose and the whole idea of the time image at that point. You know, when we've moved from the uh, the motion image to a time image, and uh, it definitely gives that sense. I think, and part of why I like it so much. Yeah, so I think that's incredible. Like, when was the last time a film has done that to you? I think that's speaks. I think it speaks about the film. I just want to say, Dustin, I, th I think it's great because I don't actually, it's funny, I actually don't disagree with anything you said. I just don't like the movie. Yeah, uh, well, you know, I you think know it I mean? comes down to taste. It comes down to cups of tea, yeah. Yeah, like, because I agree with a lot of what you guys say, and I really like the movie. So, and, you know, same thing with Dustin, I'm sure. Good trash in our classic cup of tea. That's right. Yep. It's Earl Grey hot. Thank you very much. Dear listener, if you know that reference and you tweet me, I will buy you coffee. True facts. Or Earl Grey hot, depending on your... <laughs> of your cup of caffeinated hot beverages so there you go dear listener now you know our biases they are both pro and con but we're not here to do this we're here to do analysis guys it's business time That's right. We're going to bring some analysis to this film, which is going to be really, really fun because we are 
pretending to be on the show, uh, very reliant upon narrative, and this film um, thwarts us in that desire. So I'm very excited to hear what that analysis is. We're going to move in a clockwise motion, um, just like we did last time, and I'm going to ask you first, Miss Alexander Bohannon, what say you? All right. I apologize for more of the free-flowing nature of this analysis, but con- uh, consider that it is more inspired from the film. Experience my analysis. Don't necessarily you know, read it in a, a highly narrative way. Um, I'm just going to kind of talk to you the themes of this film that I saw, one major one being uh, nature versus unnaturalness, because you have the Aboria Institute, and it is, regardless of if it is a commune, whatever, if it's a highly developed, stylized, created place, like completely man-made, fabricated, totally 100% created. And it is the purpose of the Oboria Institute, or at least the one given to us kind of by Barry, is that it is removing you from your external surroundings. And it is putting you in just this this man-made hole and it it is removing you from, you know, these natural elements. And so we have Elena having to deal with the fact that she is so disconnected from nature. So, you know, injected with these synthetic, you know, like I'd say injected, she's hypothetically injected. She's drugged. She's sedated. She's being fostered with all these man, man man-made design chemicals, which, you know, I know they're like, it's, our natural brand of homeopathy, et cetera. Well, they've still developed it. It's not necessarily anything they found in nature. Um, And so she um, is being controlled by these man-made influences. And I think that one of the themes being conveyed in this film is that this is the the overexertion of the man-made in your life is is pretty um, detrimental to you and to who you are in your being. Because then whenever we transition to Dr. Aboria, you know, he is watching that, that nature film, but he's, you know, you know, doping up and watching that nature film, which still implies that, you know, these, these man-made influences kind of corrode the soul and corrode for who you are. One of my favorite parts in this film is whenever Alina escapes from her, um, cell and she is making her way outside and whenever she finally reaches the um, I guess the arboreum or the botanical garden on the roof she just like it's the first time you actually see her like smile and she kind of does these like like small giggles and it's just really a powerful moment because she had been disconnected from you know these natural influences her whole life basically I mean she was born out of a place now regardless of what you think of that flashback scene or not um, if it's literal metaphorical etc she was created out of a place of that uh, uh, of this kind of like you know synthetic place she might have been a baby that was born already addicted to these drugs like you hear so many times it happens in the real world so whenever she is finally able to reconnect to her natural, natural self um, on that level, she has this sense pervasive sense of peace and calm anyway. So that's, uh, that's kind of my free for flowing or reading. Um, you know, again, one of those issues of, when there's no text, what do you do? Well, I, I think there's absolutely this sort of artificiality versus that yeah. which is natural going on in the film. So I think that's very well said and uh, well brought out. Thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Caleb Masters, what have you to say? 
Well, I think this movie is a thrashing criticism of uh, the 1960s kind of psychedelic counterculture uh, or, the, or the baby boomer gen- generation. I think this movie does not like boomers very much. I'm all for digging on the boomers. Go right ahead. Oh, then you're really going to like my analysis. Go right ahead. Because not only does it dig on the boomers, I think it says high five generation extras. You're our only hope. I'm so happy. Go on. Well, I want to just start by the the, the most important scene in the entire movie is the the scene between Marcuccio Borsha, who is the one who founded the Institute, and Barry about halfway through the movie. Now, uh, before it goes into a flashback, we see that Barry is talking to Arboria, and Arboria is totally strung out at this point. He is so high on drugs, like he's not even fully aware of where he's at. Uh, and that is, uh, that is a lifetime of drug addiction at that point. Did you pick up on how homoerotic this injection scene was between yeah. Barry and Dr. Aboria? There was something very sexual there about this. way sexual. Well, especially at when, he, as, sexual. No, when he gives him the needle to kill him. Yes. I mean, that was... Yes, Barry. I mean, I mean it, it went full on, like, yes. I mean, the, the French yes. call it the petite mort, right? Uh, the mm-hmm. little death for orgasm. And, like, he dies the big death for the little death somehow. And it's, yeah. I, I, I just wanted to point that out because, oh, holy well, and, cow. And, and Barry definitely had, I mean, there was definitely something going on between those because it was clear that Barry was the submissive, like, yes, or, uh, you know, Marcuccio, yes, Dr. Arboria. He just agreed mm-hmm. with everything he said. No, it, totally. That, that's totally there. Um, now, I want to talk about the flashback, though, because it reveals that Barry was at some point in the 1960s brought into Arboria's new age, quote-unquote, research facility as some sort of apprentice, I guess. They don't really specify. It is kind of abstract in the, in the way it explains. But, but uh, what, from what I gather, he's brought in as like a protege or an apprentice. And while it's not made explicitly clear to what they're researching, we can surmise that it is uh, tying into that psychedelic supernatural connection between science, spirituality, and identity – uh, so I, I definitely think that's the type of thing they're looking into. Uh, now during the blast, the flashback, we're able to see that Barry, uh, through his recollection, uh, that when he was joined, he was baptized into Dr. Arboria's ideologies. There's a lot of ways you can read that flashback. I read it as more of a semi-symbolic when he was baptized. I don't think he was actually dumped into some ooze or anything like that, but I, I took it as he totally gave himself over to the the ideologies that the Institute presented to him. Well, it's the experience that he's going into. It's like symbolic of the experience and the instruction from Aboria to go in and get the mother load. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, now, his first act, now, his first act after being brainwashed was actually he, he comes out and then he kills Arboria's wife and then imprisons uh, baby Elena for further ex- experimentation. And our boy is just all like, yeah, this is cool. Uh, he doesn't really object so much. Um, now, what I think, what I think the, uh, my reading comes in is I believe that Barry is meant to be an analog for the baby boomer generation. A very young, naive generation who wants to come in and change the world and is willing to, to explore dangerous, expo- uh, dangerous experimentation. Uh, with uh, countercultural philosophies, drugs, and all sorts of other things to get that to accomplish said goals, uh, and uh, I think it fits. He was not, he was a young man in the 1960s, uh, and ultimately we we see that the the results of their studies were destructive and pointless. And I think yes. the movie is definitely hinting at that the baby boomers have not uh, of all their woes and and you know protests and everything. Not a lot's really changed, and in fact, I think it's kind of scolding them a little bit. Uh, now, I think this is highlighted when we see, when we get to hear that little bit from Reagan's speech 
1983, when we jump back to 1983. Yes, from the Iran-Contras. Yes, exactly. Showing that you do all these experiments, and we're still violent, and we're in a warful time. And in fact, it might be and worse. And the boomers elected him. Yes, yes, they did. They did elect him. And he, uh, still to this day, uh, stands as like this heroic figure who who saved that generation and, 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 and uh, was is the father of modern you know, conservatism. Um, again, a uh, baby boomer kind of icon, I would say. Well, I think part of the slap in the face to the hippie slash boomer generation is the fact of the, uh, the failure of May 68. Uh, there was this sort of moment in which there was going to be this sort of radical political change, and I hope I'm not stepping on things you were going to say already. Um, and that what happened there was it failed to happen, and they most of the hippies became the yuppies and sort of elected Reagan. And now we have this small enclave of hippies who still want to sort of maintain their hippie status, but they're maintaining all the things that mattered the least – the pharmacology, the sort of meditation, hippy dippy, whatever. Yeah, right. they they lost sight of the the principles that they were fighting for in the, the first place. The major and, and political have, ends. They yeah. adopted all the fun stuff. You know, the hippies, the free sex, X Y Z, whatever you want to say. Uh, now, I think, like many ambitious era scientists from that era, uh, Barry was so excited by the opportunities that he never questioned any of the uh, horrific explorations or the ethics. Uh, from the experimentation, and it's and, and, and over time that he develops this self hatred uh, throughout the years of the uh, that, that builds and it's just below the surface. And as you, we see him and introduced to him, uh, we already mentioned like he seems like he's a very angry man. We're not he's not, I don't think he's quite sure until the end of the movie what he's angry at. And then it's not in, until he has that moment where he remembers, you know, thinks back on the moment he came to the institute that he just snaps. Then he kills Doctor Arboria, uh, and then goes to kill Elena. Uh, now, I think uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow insists that, uh, much like ba- Barry, the counterculture of the baby boomer generation turned America into a well-intentioned monster whose ideologies have resulted in uh, more destruction across the entire planet. Now, the silver lining that I think the movie lays out there is despite being very critical of that generation, Elena uh, presents herself as the product or the child of that generation, uh, which I believe is supposed to represent generation the Generation Xers. And we need to kill the boomers. I mean, I didn't say that. I'm just saying the mo- that's what I think the movie's trying to say. Dustin also literally just said that. I did just say that. <laughs> okay. So if you're a boomer, you might want to watch out. Uh, Dustin's Dear listener, I have a plan to save Social Security. <laughs> So after spending years being locked away and subjected to the indoctrination, Elena ultimately rejects these ideas and is able to escape and is able to begin her own personal journey to discovering her own identity outside of said counterculture. And I think so ultimately, if you're not a baby boomer, this is a very hopeful ending. Uh, But if you are, the movie hates you and uh, you wrecked this country. Congratulations. Wow. Well, um. I'm just going to say well done, Mr. Caleb Masters. Thank you very much for that spot-on analysis. Um, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what analysis bring you? Well, I hate to follow that, so I'm going to keep it kind of short here with my analysis. Uh, And thanks to Dustin, it is once again time to examine a film that falls to the wayside of classical Hollywood style and lands in the art house avant-garde realm. Uh, If I do one thing is I keep it weird. That's very – that's going to be the title of his memoirs. I'm going to attempt to pronounce this director's name here a few times. Cosmatos has developed an artistic film that is a throwback to all the movies that influenced him and that he saw in the video stores, Dustin has enlightened us, and that quotes heavily from them, uh, which is what Caleb was alluding to. We see shades of Kubrick, most notably, and then probably Cronenberg and Argento, to name a few. 
Uh, Kazatov has absorbed the techniques, styles, and impact of those filmmakers and used it to develop the paint for his cinematic canvas. He then presents us with a very visual narrative that is backed not by character and dialogue, but by sound design, which is just as important to this film as anything, and the lighting and cinematography. What I want to bring up is the idea of semiotics, in which we gather understanding by assigning meaning to symbols presented within a form of communication. In language, these are uh, words. The words are symbols and represent sounds and ideas. Uh, when these signs are compiled, when these signs are compiled within the syntax of a phrase or sentence, we begin to assign them meaning. Cosmatos has presented a series of signs and devices by which to tell his story that don't require dialogue or visual titles. Taking a very semiotic approach, one would be able to go through and unearth the meaning of these signs as they are provided by Cosmatos and denote the connotations of them within the syntax of the film. These signs appear in a number of ways throughout, most notable uh, through the use of color, most often the color red used to highlight Dr. Niles, uh, until the end of the film when the red lens is switched and used on our female protagonist as she escapes from the commune or institute, or wherever we are. Secondly, we have sound effects and scoring, uh, set design and props. And finally, we have editing techniques and camera work that add layers as well. Uh, the glowing pyramid that we see throughout, which seems to be what contains our prisoner, uh, the red chair that she sits in, and the red-clad soldiers, uh, the recurring use of the freeze frame, followed by a crossfade into the next shot or scene, which leaves us often with these haunting portraits on screen, all have a meaning. Um, and it reinforces the idea that these formalist techniques, lighting, coloring, framing, uh, cinematography, all matter. Uh, even in the classical style, they are important to keep pay attention to. Uh, but certainly in a film such as this, they are, are make or break to the meaning of what is happening. Uh, so these recurring signs make up the syntax of the film, and it is through them that we must uncover much of the film's narrative and substance. Only Dr. Niles is given dialogue outside of a couple of throwaway lines. All of that being said, I don't have the answers. I would have to watch this a couple more times to figure out what means what and where what goes and how it lands within the sentence and where the direct object is and uh, what, what preposition needs to be used and where. And so uh, for that to be done, I would have to give it a couple more views, I believe. Um, however, what Cosmatos does in the midst of all of this is provide a bare-bone narrative that despite the avant-garde techniques, while maybe not a fully avant-garde film, as Dustin mentioned, he does use those techniques, it's uh, still easy to follow throughout. It's a primitive story. Woman held captive and wants to escape from said captor. Captor decides to hunt her down. That's pretty much the story from point A to Z, and it's easy to cut, keep up with as long as you can stay awake, thanks to the film's glacial pacing. Uh, thanks very much for that. That's funny. Um, and I, I do appreciate you talking about the style, because I think style is really what's most important in the film. And so I thank you for that very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Now, I was actually going to give a reading about feminism and sort of the sphere of the woman abuse finally coming to power, uh, which I think is exactly what happens in the film, is that um, Elena is an abused woman who comes to power, and that's sort of the uh, patriarchal sort of anxiety that the film is wrestling with to an extent. But I want to offer the analysis that my 11-year-old observed instead as we watch this film together because the boy says to me as we're watching goes there are a lot of reflections in this and this whole eyeball thing that happens at the first it reminds me of vertigo i go yeah okay that's a little bit of this is the kind of child i'm raising who's 11 who knows that there's a vertigo reference when there's credits across an eyeball so there's that but we're watching these reflections and Hashtag he goes proud dad and he goes dad look they even reflected the logo of the film it's 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 a mirror image upside down and i go you're absolutely right son and throughout the film 
we see Lena and other characters in reflection. We even see Barry walk into his own reflection when he arrives at his home to talk to his wife, Rosemary, with whom he has the strangest relationship, let's just say. Um, but what I'm going to say, in, in terms of Lacan and the mirror stage and sort of the identification of the self, that the child, when uh, encountering a mirror, does not know that the mirror is not itself. And there's sort of this moment of realization where the child realizes that she is not the image in the mirror, that this is a moment that happens developmentally for all human beings. And this is what is um, part of the experience and journey of Elena, where she comes to a point where she says, uh, I am not the image I am not my parent. And she has sort of this um, longing affection for a mother she's never known, a father she never gets to see. I'm assuming a Boreas, her father, not Barry? It was implied. I, I thought it was Barry. I'm but... not sure. I thought Barry the first time I watched it. The second time I thought it might be a Borea. Uh, just the way he treasures her and calls her precious in a way that is sort of strange and disturbing. But that I know Barry definitely killed his mother, her mother, excuse me. But I'm not sure that he impregnated her also. I, I'm just I'm just not sure. Nonetheless, there is sort of this issue of parentage. The one line she does have is she wants to see her father. And Barry says, no, you can't. And you will get to later, perhaps. And that's what sort of leads me to the, the Arborea thing. Although Barry may just simply be keeping from her that knowledge because he is an evil bastard. And so there is that going on. I, I, really, I really don't know um, as that. But so she's, again, trying to seek uh, the parent as source of joy, of satisfaction. And this is now finally being thwarted which is sort of the, uh, the weaning stage that all uh, mammals, at least, and human beings for sure, go through. And the moment of breakage happens when she finally leaves the Institute, and she goes in that naturalistic environment, which now lacks reflection. All she has now is the experience, and I think the experiential sensations of the, uh, the, the, the air on her skin, the rocks on her feet, uh, just the ability to walk in the mud at one point, and sort of this understanding that she is now outside this oceanic oneness and feeling things that are not her actual self. And it culminates in the most Oedipal Electra-ish moment in which this father figure, Barry, dies sort of randomly tragically and then she goes on into homes and i guess is the source of the poltergeist films i'm not sure what's going on there but that that's sort of like a, a fan fiction film like i wrote in my head as it was ending she actually goes on to be in uh, jason part was it seven four whichever one? Oh, the seven with the psychic girl the psychic girl yeah that that this is actually a prequel there where, you her, go. where her dad died on the uh, dock that's right okay yeah that, there's something there it's actually her adoptive dad who died on the dock okay i, I, I could get boom that. actually i think she found her estranged brother in Australia and uh, helped him to ward off zombies. I was thinking that one there myself. Is that, but... Or perhaps she leaves the Institute and then um, she's now a weapon and then she helps a, a, a ragtag crew on the Firefly and uh, she, oh shit! And, and the Reaper. She's actually a founding member of the first class of uh, Charles Xavier's. Damn it! That was my <laughs> next. That was mine. Oh, <laughs> Nonetheless, uh, whatever happens, there is definitely this sort of Lacanian development that's going on. Um, and so look in Jacques Lacan, um, who's always a very, very fertile source uh, for film analysis. And there's quite a bit of his theory, I think, at the heart of this film. And definitely, definitely worth your time. But thank you very much, dear co-host. That was some great analysis. This movie is so much fun. I'm so glad I picked it. I hope that you are at least a little glad that I did. Um, I'm, I'm very glad. I, I did not like this movie. I'm glad I watched it. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, but we're going to come to the point in the show where we're going to render a verdict. Shelf or trash? 
else or instead. This is really where the rubber meets the proverbial road or the head meets the proverbial rock, however you want to go about um, describing that. I'm going to ask you first, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you? Sorry, you don't need to watch this one. I'd say trash it. Um, sorry, buddy. It's, it's, there are a lot of movies, and I don't think you need to make time for this hey, one. Too, yeah, hey, too. Uh, I would give it five man babies wearing fascist army gear out of nine. If you're looking for something in the same vein, uh, but that does it better, check out Bavarian Sound Studio. I think also check out uh, the Duke of Burgundy, um, Peter Strickland's uh, follow up to Barbarian Sound Studio. Um, check out Valhalla Rising. Get you some refin in there. Look at Upstream Color and just see what they're doing over there. Even if I'm not a fan, um, if you're looking for something more in the vein of uh, maybe let's say Drive, you're looking for more narrative with those artistic flourishes in it. I would say check out Ex Machina, which shares a lot of traits with Black Rainbow. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. That was my picks, Arthur. Nice, great. Great minds think alike. A lot, a lot of the exact same stuff's happening. Institute, woman in a glass box. Um, there's a there's a mad scientist perusing. Except for one of these movies is significantly better and more, co- more cohesive than the other. And one has a really awesome dance sequence in it. Oh my goodness, best dance sequence of the year. Um, so those are my my else's for Beyond the Black Rainbow. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon, Mr. Caleb Masters. Shelf or trash? Else or instead? Well, I've got to trash it. I I trash it because not because I don't think it's absolutely not. It's not that it's not worth seeing. It's that there's so many better movies that are clearly inspiring this movie that talk about and do the same things. You can go look up a Clockwork Orange. Go look. Go watch THX 1138. Go watch. You're going to say THX 1138 is better than Beyond the Black Rainbow. I are will you, say. I will no no. It's more. That, it, I will say if you're going to pick between those two movies, one of them is a lot more influential than the other, and it ain't uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow. Oh, so we're measuring our film ratings by their matter of um, popularity now, are because we? Because one happened in 2014 and the other one happened in like 19. No, 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 that's because, bull crap. No, 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 no. I'm saying no. If you want to understand what what I am a and, trick thought that this is a heavy influence for Prometheus. Because he looks just like an engineer. That's and fair I point. Stick beside that. that. That actually is a pretty. And it came out in 2010. 2000, 2000, 2010. Whatever, whatever and guess when Prometheus came out? 2012. There's actually some pretty strong correlation there. <laughs> right when this, when Prometheus is in development, that could happen. But I'm THX 30, uh, 1138. Not a masterpiece, but I think what it was doing at that point in time was a lot more interesting, and obviously had an impact on on this movie in particular. I think so. And else, I would say you're better off watching the influences of the movie than you are watching the actual movie. Um, and following that, I would also say 2001 A Space Odyssey while I'm on the Kubrick train. Uh, lastly, if you're looking for something that's kind of a, a mi- mi- kind of a mid-level avant-garde versus narrative feature, absolutely check out Snowpiercer. And lastly, if you want me, if you want to understand what I'm talking about, about pastiche filmmaking versus real art, the difference between someone copying real art and making real art, please. Since the- when is pastiche not real art? Read Frederick Jameson, man. Are you serious? Go watch Banksy's Exit Through the Gift Shop because this movie is Mr. Mr. Brainwash and uh, the classics I just mentioned are all Banksy. That, that about sums it up. Thank you for speaking, Mr. Caleb Masters. Just got to be honest, Dustin. I'm sorry. I'm glad you're here. Thank you very much. Miss Alexandra Bohannon, bring some sanity to the shelf or trash else or instead. I think it's a shelfer. I, I would I would watch this again. I'd buy this. I'd buy this for sure. Yeah, it would be super fun to have this around and to revisit it. Um, yes, I'm not gonna go 
much further than that. I'd give it nine out of 14 mother loads. How about that for you? <laughs> um, I think, uh, I think that most of my co co hosts have good picks for this. I would just like to add one more. Um, Arthur was saying, if you want some, if you want more of a narrative focus with more fi- mind fuck elements, I would say if you want that, as well, I'd tack one onto his category there. Um, go watch the Lords of Salem because that has, it's a lot more narratively driven and it has the same seventies type aesthetic, but at least set in modern day. And then it definitely can blow your mind and is a lot more horror, a lot more horror, but um, yeah, I would check out that one if you want to compliment this film. Thank you very much, Ms. Alexander Bohannon. I am going to say shelf because you know what? Cinema can do more, and the cinema that most of us are seeing is less, and this film is by far more, and it will point you in those directions. It's sadly brilliant. Um, my Elsa's, see some films by Dario Argento, which is the recommendation my 11-year-old gave after watching this film, and he's not wrong. Moving right along, um, my recommendations, of course, Argento, check that out. Check out Barbarian Sound Studio, as uh, Arthur has already mentioned. Also, check out Holy Motors. Just, again, more possibilities and more um, understanding and just just thinking a little bit deeper and broader about this. And I honestly think the act of killing is a fine pairing with this film as well. Um, and you could do no worse than those films. And, again, just sort of expand your palate, dear listener. Expand your mind and find yourself in film and uh, it's a good thing for you so there you go dear listeners now you know our recommends or disrecommends and you know where we're coming from we'd love to hear more from you about that and the way that that happens is through that magical means that we all know as social media mr arthur gordon do you know anything about those social media means by which conversations may be held uh yes you could email us good trash genrecast at gmail.com and connect with us on google plus over there uh you can also find us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash good trash genrecast one word we do have some feedback coming in from over there in regards to our favorite scary movies game from scream ashley rain said that 28 days later return of the living dead and the thing are her favorite scary movies brigham cole mentioned the thing as well Videodrome, and The Conjuring, which got some love from Mr. Masters last week. And I think those are all really good picks, and so thank you for that. Uh, we also, he's, it's awkward to talk about feedback when he's in the room with us, uh, but Mr. Caleb Masters shared with us the, the trailer for the Coen Brothers' new Hail Caesar uh, film. I haven't actually got to look at that trailer yet, but Coen Brothers, I'm there. I thought it was appropriate. We were talking. Dustin talked a lot about movies, that, about movies, and this is definitely this is the Coen Brothers yeah. finally taking on this is their that epic, genre, right? the thirties right. epic. And so I am, I love the Coen Brothers a lot. And so I, you can just tell me Coen Brothers, and I'll be at the theater. I don't even care at this point in the game. And so I'm really look forward to that. So thank you everybody for that feedback, and that's what we got this week, Dustin. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon, Miss Alexandra Bohannon. Do you know anything else about social media means by which conversations are held? I want to meet my followers. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we are on Twitter at good underscore trash. Do um, we have any feedback coming in from the Twitter? All right. Yeah, we do. Um, well, we've got more followers, lots of favorites, and sick ton of re- retweets. But I will like to highlight one of such um, favorites. So someone wrote to the Wormwood movie uh, Twitter um, that they were eagerly, um, someone on our staff, like Good Trash, wrote, I'm eagerly awaiting that Brooks spinoff. 
Um, and then we talked about a potential Ghostbusters film. Well, guess who favorited that? Bianca Bradley, who play, played Brooke in Wormwood, favorited those tweets. So that was pretty exciting for me to read. I've been um, talking to Bianca a little bit on the Twitter. Yeah. I'm not unhappy about that at all. I, I bet you aren't. <laughs> I wouldn't be either, to be fair. I should talk to her, too. Okay, Ben, that's all we've really got going on this week. Um, talk to us. We like you guys, please. Thank you very much for all that feedback. Dear co-hosts, of course, you can find us on the uh, regular site, the podbean.com site, and give comments there. You can also give us uh, feedback at the Sad Men for Lonely Women site. And finally, you can leave comments at iTunes or a rating. A rating is so helpful. Comments are fine also. We'll read them on the air. But a rating, guys, we cannot tell you how important ratings are. Uh, no matter what you actually think of the show, whether it's one star all the way to five stars, just the more ratings, the better. So by all means, please, 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 send those things our way thank you very much but enough of this foolishness guys it's time to play the game that's right it's time to play the game this week's game is our favorite evil institutes and or corporations that's right Favorite evil institutions and corporations. Brought to you by Aboria Institute and Beyond the Black Rainbow. Aboria Institute. I hope you're okay with eye trauma. Because <laughs> I fucking ain't. <laughs> <laughs> There's some of that going on. Well, thank you for that, Miss Alexander Bohannon. We're going to begin with you because you're the one who did the huckstery thing there at the front end. Sure thing. It's usually Dalton, but now it's not. Yep. So you get to bake your picks. Go right ahead. All right. Um, I would like to make two or three, um, Oscorp and Spider-Man, uh, all of the Spider-Mans, especially with, uh, what's his name? The guy that didn't Willem have Defoe? a, well, that one too, but I was going to say it's James Franco, Toby McGuire. I just, I just thought he doesn't have a high school diploma and that's all I could think of. Um, cause he doesn't. And then, obviously, the corporation in the movie The Thing, which was mentioned earlier in some of our uh, listeners' favorite horror movies. And then, um, I don't know if they're quite evil, but they are still worth a mention. Uh, Gringotts in Harry Potter, not sure if they're evil or just really interested in making money or more like a neutral, like a, like a lawful neutral. They might be more lawful neutral than evil. Have you seen those goblins? Do you trust those goblins with your money? I mean, I think they're just wanting to make money. Like, I don't. I don't trust anybody that can't look me in the eye. Oh, that oh. was a short joke. Okay, and that's all I've got here on on my end. Thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohan and Mr. Caleb Masters. What are your picks? Well, first and foremost, we've always got to go with the classic of Sona, Gordon at uh, Gecko and Corp, aka Gordon Gecko, because greed is good, and you know, uh, trying to screw people out of money and playing the game not good. Good for all the rich people. Not good for all of us here on the uh, us plebeians here. Uh, two, got to go with the video game and film evil organization Umbrella because they made a virus that wiped out humanity because it was cool. Like, There's no reason they needed that. They tested it. They knew it was bad, but they're like, what if we just uh, tested it on humans in our own, on our own organization? I think that's a good idea. It's pretty evil. Uh, lastly, lastly, we have to go with Acme. Because they supplied Wiley Coyote with all those explosives consistently across uh, over decades 
of uh, Roadrunner chasing. I mean, that's pretty evil, guys. I mean, that poor Wiley Coyote, they knew he was going to blow himself up, but they kept sending him stuff. I feel so bad for Wiley Coyote. <laughs> I feel like the only thing he's going to be remembered is like his homicidal mania and not his amazing realist portraits of um, tunnels through walls. <laughs> And I, I just feel the like man was a visionary. <laughs> I feel like that's very unfortunate. Truly, he almost deserves a moment of silence. Almost, <laughs> almost. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What are your picks? Uh, I'm going to start with Injin from Jurassic Park. Yes, which uh, which starts as kind of this shadowy umbrella corporation that we don't really see a lot of, except for humans working for them and trying to get them dino uh, embryos, and then it really kind of sets. Full force in uh, the Lost World Jurassic Park 2 uh, with uh, Vince Vaughn and uh, them trying to do whatever it is they're doing in 2. I don't remember. But uh, they become pretty evil. And then by 4, they're just uh, they're just military uh, goats trying to get us some uh, raptors for uh, for I- Iraq or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no. I love, they start out as like they, – they, 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 they're like the rich, wealthy guys trying to reclaim the property and buy number three, yeah. four. They've already – they've devolved into uh, – got to build weapons for the military yeah. and them raptors. <laughs> Those raptors. Them raptors. They'll get a Strap some guns They'll there. get Bin Laden That's real right. quick. <laughs> Send them after ISIS. We got some. <laughs> we got them. Uh, raptors. That's, that's – cure all the world's problems, <laughs> raptors. Uh, my second pick is uh, the, Wh- the Weyland-Yutani Corporation of Alien. Well chosen. Those purveyors of the final frontier and that poor, poor Ellen Ripley who they just keep manipulating and sending back out there. And uh, they are truly evil because greed is good. Uh, and finally, I'm going to mention the Oregon Hospital from One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest and Nurse Ratchet and the very, very traumatic experience that happens there uh, for Jack Nicholson uh, before he goes crazy and goes to the Overlook Hotel in Colorado. Thank you very much for those picks. They're very well chosen, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I'm going to give sort of the uh, obligatory picks of the church and the American government. They are fun when they are evil in cinema, and I will say no more um, because I probably shouldn't. I don't want to get on a watch list or you know get yelled at. So there are those things. Um, I also want to say, you know, for the memory of a lifetime, recall... Recall, recall. That is right. Recall, the uh, organization from Total Recall, which may or may not be actually real. I don't know. And uh, that's super, super fun and something that I like very, very, very much. And uh, we'd love to hear more of your picks, dear listener, and whatever that you want to select regarding your favorite evil institutes slash corporations and information concerning them. Uh, you can send that to us via those magical means of social media that we've already mentioned so far. But enough of this. It's time to conclude the show as we always do with what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. That's right, dear listener. We are all fired up about pop culture this week. I go to you first, Mr. Caleb Masters. What say you? I'm a little bit fired up, Dustin. Uh, this last weekend, I'm coming off of... Uh, it's going to be a little in retrospect by the time listeners get to this, uh, but uh, I have been playing the Star Wars Battlefront beta all weekend, and I love video games, I love Star Wars, and I was really bitter that we never got a Battlefront 3 a long time ago, and it got axed, yada, yada. It's lots of fun. Uh, it's If you've played Battlefield... 
the kind of contemporary modern war shooter. It's dies the same guys who made those games. So it's literally those games with Star Wars, but they get all the Star Wars stuff right. You've got your ATATs, ATSTs. You've got the costumes. There's a lot of uh, there's an immense amount of detail on there. But ultimately, still a first person shooter. So if that's not your cup of tea, then don't check it out. But I had a real blast this last weekend, just uh, hopping on, playing a few games. Secondly. Uh, again, uh, kind of in retrospect, uh, October the 12th, Fargo Season 2 is coming back on TV. And I got to say, Fargo Season 1 was a pleasant surprise. I waited until after the season was done and marathoned, I think, all 10 or 12 episodes. And wow, what a blast. It's the best Coen Brothers fan fiction you will find ever by a lot. It's so much fun. I don't know if it quite has the depth of the Coen Brothers, but it has all of the style. And man, oh man, is it lots of fun. It, it's a great show. It's very layered. It's, it is streaming on Hulu Plus, so check it out if you get a chance. It, Caleb's right. It's, it's a great TV show. I haven't caught it yet. And what's nice about this season is that it's a stand, they do standalone seasons. It's a, so if you if you oh, didn't yeah. catch season one and you want to hop on the, hop on the bandwagon but don't want to marathon through 10 episodes or 12 episodes, whatever it is, you can just DVR, catch it on Hulu, whatever the, the case may be. Watch the first episode by episode now. It's, it, I, I promise if you like the Coen Brothers in any form or fashion, you're going to really enjoy this show. I'm in. Sounds good. Not to mention it's got an all-star cast. Check it out. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Miss Alexander Bohanner, are you fired up this week? I am. So, uh, recent, uh, October 6th, the uh, completely illustrated version of Sorcerer's Stone dropped, and I acquired it on, on drop date, and it is beautiful, glorious, and he's... Yeah, he's uh, the boys are passing it around right now. I ha- I brought it with me. It is just gorgeous, and I cannot wait to see you order the Phoenix, my favorite Harry Potter uh, book. Uh, Ill have done the full treatment. We will see how that works. That'll be huge. It's like a paving slab. It'll be massive. Anyway, Harry Potter's amazing, and uh, you should you should buy that. And then um, lastly, this isn't pop culture. Mostly, it's just it's marriage season, and I guess I'm an adult now because everyone's getting married. And so I went to two weddings on the same day over the weekend, and uh, I'm going to another wedding next weekend. And it's just gonna be like this forever until the kids start happening with those people. Uh, so many weddings, so little time. I'm pretty over it. Anyway, let's let's move on. Thank you very much, Ms. Alexander Bohannon. I'm fired up about a single thing, and that is Saifu Hotman. Um, that's right, S-I-F-U Hotman, who is a, a hip-hop singer who um, dropped a track as the weather on Welcome to Night Vale, a particular podcast that I love very, very much. And it is blatantly, brilliantly hip-hop political and funny. The track is called Matches, and listen to it. Find it now. Watch Welcome to Nightville because I'm sort of working my way through the back catalog of what I've missed uh, of the show. I'm a little bit behind. This is on episode 68. I don't know. I'm not quite sure how many episodes the show is in. Uh, 75 episodes, so I'm not real far back, but I've got a little ways to go. And it's definitely worth your time. That's right. Saifu Hotman Matches. Check it out. There you go, dear listener. Now you know our recommends and our else's and what have you and whatnot. Your syllabus just got much, much longer. Next week's film is The Sacrament, directed by one Ty West, who we revisit nearly every Shocktober. You guys ready? Watch it. We've been to some of the most chaotic, war-torn places in the world, but never for something as bizarre as this. Here we are. Welcome to Eden Parish. You guys built all this? Father had a vision, and we built heaven here on Earth. Who is Father? He's the guy that started all of this. 
Can we speak with him at some point? He agreed to sit for an interview tonight at the gathering. It's been pretty amazing. Everyone we've talked to seems to feel that this is everything they ever wanted, and they all credit you for that. Oh, I don't deserve the credit. You come down here, and I'll give you a place to live. I'll give you a job. I'll give you a bed. These people are my family, my children. And when you write this up, just know that you're dealing with their lives. really going on here this place is not what it seems hey what's happening these people want to leave they have their suitcases packed i have no idea what to do sam do not get involved in this please take my daughter what we can't let them go back to new york no this is the last sacrament how many more people can fit in this thing I want you to film this. It's important. It's funny. Take it. Take it. Take it. That's right. We're going to be looking at the sacrament. Take a look at that. Take a look at this week's film, Beyond the Black Rainbow, based on my recommendation, almost only. Not quite only. Thanks, Alex, for that. But uh, take a look at that and have a conversation about the movies because that's what makes watching the movies worthwhile. And until then, we'll see you all next time. I never do that unless I get paid. Doing kids? <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, actually. <laughs> I bet more than one wait wedding in a weekend.
That absolutely <laughs> must. That was good. That was good. Well played. I was going to say it. <laughs> I only have one kid per weekend also. <laughs> That's hilarious. The laughs, the laughs hurt so good. 